we're going to hear from God's Word now. Uh, from Heidi and Carla are going to read it to us. Uh, before we do that, let's pray that we might hear what God has to say to us today. Father God, we thank you for your Word, that it is your Word. Uh, we thank you that we have it in our language. We thank you that we are free to read it, that we are free to read it out loud and amongst a group, that we are free to be taught it and to uh, teach others. Lord, um, we pray that it would be precious to us, that we would desire it. And we ask now that as we hear your word and as we hear um, Mark open it up to us and discuss it, uh, we pray that uh, it would, would uh, really, really hit home that we would uh, see you in new ways and that your spirit would move us to not only be excited and overjoyed uh, by your goodness towards us, but that we would see uh, action in our lives and that we would act upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's hear from God's word. Heidi. first reading today is Zechariah 12, um, page 673. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord, who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him, declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Then the leaders of Judah will say in their hearts, The people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. On that day, I will make the leaders of Judah like a firepot in a woodpile, like a flaming torch among sheaves. They will consume right and left all the surrounding peoples, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first, so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest amongst them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of Shimei and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, 
the second reading is on page uh, 768. It's uh, John chapter 19, uh, verse 20 to, uh, 30 to 37. When he had received drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because Jews did not want the body left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it had given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies, so that he also may, you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as other, another scripture says, they will look on the day they have pierced. This is the word of God. Again, let me welcome you. It's great that uh, you're able to join us on what is a slightly bleak day, uh, but a great day because we get to have the living word of God address us. Uh, we're picking up again in Zechariah. If um, you've turned to John, turn back to Zechariah. I've been working our way through it. If you haven't been with us, it's, it's about two and a half thousand years old uh, where uh, God's people had returned. Uh, life was fairly disappointing. It's an encouragement for all, uh, those certainly in those times, but even today, to, to look beyond our circumstances to the great stuff God will do, his greater kingdom, the things he will bring about. Uh, and so it's a word that is uh, still powerful for us. Uh, our challenges might be different, uh, but the word is still powerful. Um, that should give you enough time to find Zechariah 12 and 13. How about I pray? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for the way that uh, it encourages us, it lifts us from our own circumstances to uh, see reality that sometimes we miss. Uh, Father, we pray that as we look into your word now that we would understand you better and as we do, that we would understand ourselves better. Uh, Father, pour out your spirit upon us that we might uh, know you and love you and delight in all of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do we make of uh, the human spirit? See, our spirit, the you know, human spirit seems to be a mass of contradictions, doesn't it? Uh, you've got swinging from tragedies through to triumphs. You've, you've got the same spirit that produced Mother Teresa also produced King Jong-il. In the last few days, it's been reported that uh, scientists in America have uh, made for the first time synthetic cells, that is, organisms that have been concocted purely in the lab. Now, that's the human spirit, isn't it? The triumphs. We can make life. And yet at the same time, in New South Wales there are about 800 abortions a week. Uh, that's about two for every five live births in our state. And what is it about the human spirit? We, we, we can give life, we take it away. 
You know, uh, we've experimented with, with eating probably now most of the raw materials of the earth. Uh, and we've managed to turn all sorts of different things into spectacular meals. We have refined palates. We go out to, to super restaurants with multiple hats. And yet we know the reality of people starving around the world because they have lack of access to food like that. And as one of my children pointed out to me the other day, you know, we dispose each day of quality food in our shops to maintain the standard of being fresh food people. You know, what are we to make of the human spirit? You know, so capable and yet so conflicted. You know, and we know it's not a problem just of those people out there, is it? We can't just kind of blame it all on everyone else. We know, we know our own Jekyll and Hyde kind of syndrome. You know, we know the good I do and we also know so much good I don't do. You know, why is it that we love what damages us? If you were with us last week at the end of Zechariah 11, um, I suppose the shock is that there was good leadership offered and people despised it. Rather, they took the leadership that would actually take advantage and rip them apart. They'd rather that. Leadership that damages them. We follow what destroys us. It's the kind of, you know, philosophy and understanding of the human spirit that means the tobacco industry can rest well because they know people will keep doing stuff to damage themselves. As the 39 articles say about the human condition, man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. The the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. What do we make of the human spirit? And, and, And more, how do we resolve the conflict? How do we fix all this up? You know, how, can you, how can you honestly look at the state of human, human spirit and, and, and our souls and not be dismayed? I want to say Zechariah, a word from two and a half thousand years ago, is a word of solution, of resolution. Uh, 12 verse 1. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and who forms the spirit of man within him. You know, here is a word from the maker of our spirits to solve humanity's problem. Uh, the, the final three chapters, just to give you an overview, we'll be looking at 12 and 13 today and 14 next week. Um, in this bit, we're kind of getting to the, the end of Zechariah, excitement's building. This bit, we'll look at how God resolves his relationship with his people and next week, how he resolves it with the world in chapter 14. Um, but, but the excitement, this word from our spirits maker is that there is a day when all these problems will be resolved. And there is a sense throughout it that the day is soon. I don't know if you were, as you were hearing it read, you, you kind of felt the pulse of the chapter. We don't often notice our pulses, but there's a pulse that runs through this, these chapters that we need to notice. The sense of excitement, 12 verse 3, on that day when all the nations are gathered. 12 verse 4, on that day. 12 verse 6, on that day. 12 verse 8, on that day, the Lord will shield. 12 verse 9, on that day. 12 verse 11, uh, and it keeps going into the next chapter. 13 verse 1, 13 verse 2, 13 verse 4. On that day, it's kind of this thumping pulse. In the normal kind of day-to-day, you don't notice your pulse uh, unless you've got kind of a problem and an irregularity. But, but every now and then, you know, there's that moment of anticipation, of kind of tension builds, and, and, and you can't not notice. It's kind of all throbbing. Uh, there's this kind of your attention is focused because, and it's not just you've had too many coffees that day. Uh, you know, sometimes there's just that, that, that audible beat when something exciting, exciting is about to happen. You know, that you're about to go for the job interview you desperately want or, or the job review. Uh, or, or that awkward rebuke that you know you've got to have, that, that difficult conversation with someone. 
Or if you can remember back, you know, the, the day when you had to go to your prospective father-in-law and ask him for his daughter to marry her. You know, that kind of, that tension, that thump. You know, and, and the final ze- section of Zechariah has, has that thumping pulse because it's close. The, the, the day is almost there when it's all going to be resolved. But as that kind of thump goes along, as the beat goes we see the detail of what that day will be like. Now, there's, there's, I suppose, too much to cover in two chapters here, but I want to take your attention to the section described by one commentator as holy ground, uh, described by someone as the most mysterious and profound part of Zechariah's message. See, after, after speaking in ways of what we expect of God, in the opening nine verses, lots of stuff about God defending his people. And we kind of go, yeah, of course. But then we come to 12 verse 10, where God pours out a spirit of grace on those who hurt him. 12 verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication and they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and they will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So that the maker of our spirits promises to pour out his spirit on us, the undeserving. Yeah, he will, he will make us genuinely grieve the damage we've done to him. So Jerusalem, the people of God, they, they will look upon God and they will see how they have pierced him. And the, the language of piercing there, it's, it's not kind of just an accidental nick when you're shaving or anything like that. It's, yeah, it's battle language. It's the idea of a mortal wound. Yeah, the death blow has been struck. And the shock... Is that the one they pierced, the one they, they gave a death blow to, is God himself. And it comes in, in the more shocking context of what he's just been doing to protect them. So in verse 8, God is their shield and he has protected them from all their enemies. In verse 9, he, he, he destroyed the attacking nations. The nations, those enemies, they're unable to do anything to God. They don't harm him. And yet the ones he protects, it's their treachery that deals him that blow. You know, isn't it always the way that uh, the barbs from people you don't know, you don't care, you know, the kind of random insult, uh, that, that, that flows straight off. But the damage of one who knows you, you know, that misspoken word of a friend, that really hurts. You know, sin is not just the damage that we, we do to others, it, it's the blow we deal to the maker of our spirit. You know, by our nature, what's remarkable about this passage is, by our nature, we don't even notice and mourn over that. You know, when we lie, um, especially when we're found out lying, um, we do see the damage it does to others. But by nature, our, our eyes are closed to the damage it does to God. You, know, you don't flick on the news at night and see a report um, about how the crimes in Sydney have affected you know, the divine one. But in God's kindness, on that day... God will pour out his spirit on his people. That is, he will enable them to realise exactly what they've done to God and mourn properly over it. That's what, it's what Zechariah speaks of, it's what John picks up, as Carl read it to us from, from John's Gospel on the cross. You know, the day Zechariah promised began with the person and work of Jesus. It'll be complete, that day will be finished. It's a longer day than we expected because the day's about a person. Uh, it'll be complete when Christ finishes his work and returns. But when we look to the cross, we realise exactly what our, our distorted human spirit does. 
not just to ourselves, not just to others, but to God himself. So as we look to the cross, you need to ask the question, who killed Jesus? And of course the answer is we all did. You know, by every good thing that you failed to do, by every godless thought and word and action you committed, we killed Christ. It wasn't stuck to the cross by the nails. That's not what held him there, as one songwriter put it. It was my sin that held him there until it was completed. His dying breath has brought me life. I know it is finished. So that, that's the, the power of God's spirit being poured out, people recognising their contribution. So in Zechariah 12, verse 11 and following, what we do is we kind of run around different places. Um, you don't need to know exactly who the places and people are and the different tribes. The point is... Everyone acknowledges, everyone mourns, they all realise their contribution to what they had done to God rather than kind of standing around saying, it wasn't me, it was, yeah, I'd be looking at the tribe over there, think they're the problem. Uh, no, no, they saw it of themselves. And so they have real contrition. So the, the sacrifice of God, God being willing to be pierced himself, is actually not enough to resolve the human spirit. Now, don't get me wrong, Christ's death is essential. But the benefits of that piercing need to be applied within. They need to come into our lives. The spirit of grace needs to be poured into our lives that we would realise and mourn and have real contrition. And and the way it comes about is, is by us not looking all the more at ourselves and seeing what we've done, but by looking at God himself. Uh, this someone I know was uh, caught for drink driving. Um, uh, it resulted in him well, a whole raft of things for himself. He, he lost his licence. It meant a loss of work. Uh, A big part of him, I suppose, dealing with it uh, and dealing with this problem was showing him the effects. Not the effects on himself. Um, He was actually introduced to survivors of car accidents, people in wheelchairs uh, who were permanently damaged by that kind of action. So rather than get him to grieve by looking at, yeah, isn't it terrible, I lost my licence, and the effects on himself, he was pushed out, confronted with the kind of cost that what his actions did to others. You know, and it's at looking at the cross that's the clearest point where God himself shows he is pierced by looking at, at the damage our distorted spirits do to God himself that we are led to genuine remorse. And so they can be healing. You know, Spurgeon put it this way. True sorrow for sin comes not without the spirit of God, but even the spirit of God himself does not work it except by leading us to look to Jesus the crucified. It's a beautiful remark of an old minister, that eyes are made for at least two things. First to look with, the next to weep with. The eye which looks to the pierced Jesus is the eye which weeps for him. O soul, when thou comest to look where all eyes should look, even to him who is pierced, then thine eyes begin to weep for that which all eyes should weep, even the sin which crucified the Saviour. There is no saving repentance except within sight of the cross. The essence of evangelical repentance is that it looks to him whom it pierced by its sin. Sorrow for sin without faith in Christ kills but never blesses. Here, as William Cooper put it a little more succinctly, the cross once seen is death to every vice. See, our spirits, the problem of the human spirit, is not going to be fixed by just feeling bad. You know, it's really easy to feel sorry for yourself when your sin gets you in trouble, isn't it? Uh, it's what, you know, David Campbell is feeling 
I'm sure at the moment, after the media cruelly exposed his kind of double life. But real change doesn't come from the grief we feel over being caught. Transforming our spirits comes from really mourning what it's done to God. You know, we, there are lots of assumptions we make about we, we make an assumption that, that in dealing with our problems and the problem of the human spirit, just go and look within. You know, kind of dig around inside you and you'll find the hero within and you'll be able to kind of lift yourself up by the bootstraps. But, you know, that approach doesn't solve anything. You can spend your life whipping yourself over your failures and, and it'll leave you worn out and empty and no better off. You know, and perhaps the most dangerous assumption people make is to not see the reality of their sin and how they've harmed God. You know, to consider themselves pretty good. No, I haven't pierced God. That wasn't me. Someone I know recounted um, a gospel conversation they had. They were sharing the gospel with someone and they explained that only bad people go to heaven and only good people go to hell. Okay, Bad people go to heaven, good people go to hell. And in the course of the conversation, what was worked out is these people he was chatting to assumed he just said the wrong things and in their minds they fixed it up. Of course what he really meant is good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. No, no, that's exactly what he didn't mean. But so distorted are our spirits that we just think we're good enough for God that we could get in there on ourselves. And that's the state of so many of our friends and neighbours and, and sadly if that is you today, you're in the most dangerous position, the very worst of positions. Because for those who don't even realise that, they haven't had the spirit of grace poured on them. You know, they, they aren't mourning the one they pierced. And there's no hope of them being resolved with God. Now, but true self-understanding, the true way our human spirits will be fixed is by looking more intently at our maker and saviour. You know, that's the logic of James 1. If you know James 1, um, go and read the Bible, look at the word of God, and it acts like a mirror. Which is strange, because you're going to go, I look at the word of God and I understand God better, don't I? Well, yes, but actually you understand yourself better. It's a mirror. As you look at the word of God, as you study God, you discover who you are. The more deeply we look at God, the more clearly we see ourselves. You know, and it's then as we look on the one pierced, as we delve deeply into the sufferings of God, wrestle with that, the sufferings we caused him, and as we start to then mourn it, that the human spirit will begin healing. Because there's another part of the promise of that day. You know, a, a second feature of that pulse of the day that I want to draw our attention to. Um, 13 verse 1. That God will remove the spirit of uncleanness. 13 one. On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And on that day I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I'll remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. See, Zechariah takes us to more of what that day will be like, a spirit of uncleanness taken away. Um, It's kind of done in two ways. Um, Partly the filth of sin is removed, but even more deeply, the desire for sin is taken away. So he uses an image of a fountain. I really did want to use that for the kids' talk this morning, but I just didn't think I could get a fountain brought in in time. Uh, it's this beautiful image, isn't it? It's, it's overflowing. It's inexhaustible. You know, fountains don't come to an end. They just keep going and going and going. 
And this fountain will cleanse the sins of those who see the one they pierced, who mourn for their contribution to it, and they will be cleansed. And that cleansing flow washes the whole land. You, you kind of see there there's this really healthy biblical materialism going on there. You know, that, that creation's good, um, but it's marred by its link to us, to humans. And, and that as our spirits are cleansed, the land is cleansed. All of creation is fixed up. Because you know, there's no stain that the sacrifice Christ makes can't wash away. Again, in John's Gospel, uh, John points us to the spear that goes in Christ's side and, and the flow of water and blood that came, you know, the finished work of Christ that washes away our sin. Uh, William Cooper was a, an 18th century lawyer. Um, it's spelt Cowper, but trust me, go with it, it's Cooper. Uh, he was a well-educated and uh, a respectable man. Uh, but unfortunately, he was brought down by uh, bouts of depression. Um, in many ways, people would, would now class, classify him as having schizophrenic episodes. Um, at th- the age of 32, uh, he tried three times to commit suicide. Uh, so w- once he tried poison, uh, he then tried jumping from a wharf and he was rescued. Uh, finally, he tried hanging himself. Uh, but the, the garter he was using to hang himself broke. Uh, his life was spared again, and, and this all kind of contributed. He, he, I suppose, was driven to even further despair that you know he couldn't even kill himself, uh, and he felt this contempt for himself that he couldn't express. You know, whenever he went into the street, uh, he describes how it seemed as if every if every eye was flashing upon him with indignation and scorn, looking down on him, and he felt as if he he defended God so deeply that his guilt was so great that it could never be forgiven, and so he was just kind of overwhelmed with despair. So he knew what it was to mourn sin. He knew what his contribution was, but, but he hadn't gripped the cleansing power of what Jesus had done yet. It wasn't long after that, uh, he came to understand what that cleansing from sin was and that it was for every and every guilty conscience. Uh, and he wrote a beautiful song uh, later that year. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Yeah, he looked to Jesus. He saw that day. He saw the, the one he'd pierced with his sin and at last he understood, no, no, it washes it all away. You know, if, if you today have ever worried that your sin is so deep it couldn't be dealt with, you know, look again to the fountain flowing from the cross. It can all be dealt with. And Zechariah goes further. We're cleansed so deeply that not only is it washed away, but we no longer, you know, to to use the Anglican 39 articles again, we no longer lusteth after what's contrary to the Spirit. We change that deeply. There's this really graphic imagery in, in the opening verses of chapter 13 uh, of how much we'll hate sin. You know, in 13.3, parents will stab their own son who tries to lead them astray. It's meant to offend. You know, we're meant to be shocked at that point. It, it kind of matches up with the piercing of God, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, he picks, picks up the grief of mourning over an only child in 1210 is the way people respond to God. But here it's with their own child. You know, so either he gives a choice. Either humanity keeps acting to pierce God or they act to pierce those who lead us astray, lead us from God. You know, so foreign is the desire to sin on that day that even the closest relationship is set aside. Sin is so unappealing. Yeah, that's longing for the truth even when it's costly. Yeah, desire is so incredibly powerful, isn't it? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly persuaded by that argument that um, talent is really just the result of having a real great desire for something. 
So, you know, the, the reason Tiger Woods is a great golfer is not a natural talent for hitting a ball, but a natural passion to just do it lots and lots and lots of times. And so if you do it, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 hours, surprisingly, you turn out pretty good. Uh, you know, that's desire, isn't it? And what God promises on that day is he will reshape our desires to stop curving us in on ourselves and sin, but, but to focus us out to despise sin and love God. You know, it's what, in part, we observe now as people who've got the Spirit poured out in us and it's in part, or in, in full, what we'll see on that day when Jesus returns and takes us home. So what do we do with the human spirit? Well, the only solution is going to be found in God's solution, isn't it? Not our attempts, but him pouring out his Spirit that we might see his sacrifice and find life. We need to be people who pray that, not just for ourselves, but for uh, those around us, don't we? Now, you may have noticed that the curtains changed to red this morning. Um, in the, our 8am service, we, we kind of celebrate the Anglican calendar. It's Pentecost Sunday, pouring out of the Spirit. We made it red. Uh, what a great thing for us to leave today if we would be praying for a pouring out of God's Spirit that others too might find the solution to humanity's problems. To that day to come swift. And all our sin is dealt with. When as all people mourn the one they pierced. It's the picture Revelation 1 finishes with, with not just God's but the nations looking to one they pierced and mourning. Why don't we pray that God does that now? Now, Lord and Father, we thank you for your willingness to look upon our frail, broken human spirits. You're the one who formed us and yet we've distorted it. And we thank you for the fact that uh, you have not turned away from us, but rather you've been willingly pierced that we might be cleansed and washed and made new. Father, take from us the desire to sin. Give us the comfort of it all being paid for. Help us to look all the more uh, to the cross for our hope. Father, we pray that you would pour your spirit out on uh, this suburb and this nation this world, that they might uh, see the reality of their sin, see the wonder of your sacrifice and find at last life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.